Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. We're going to go to Romans 8, and I'm going to try to finish up this chapter tonight. I was looking through here. There's several good things we need to talk about, but uh, we're going to look at Romans 8 and 31 first. Romans 8 and 31. Last week, we talked about uh, eternal security. Um, we uh, looked at the... Uh, predestination and once saved always saved doctrine of course predestination is in this chapter we, we covered that uh, brother Ron talked about some things on Sunday that I had to put in my notes um, to add to that lesson and um, he was talking about Noah he was talking about uh, the ark and I had mentioned about the doctrine of eternal security that um, God has not called us as far as saying you're saved, you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved, and you're not going to be saved, and you're not going to be saved, and you're not going to be saved. He's not picking and choosing. But uh, he did predestinate the church. The church uh, is going to be a part of that wedding bride. And uh, if we want to make it to heaven, it's like getting in a boat or a plane, getting reservations, getting a ticket, getting in, flying, floating, going down the rails of a train to your destination, you're going to get there because that train or that plane or that boat is, is predestined to go. So same thing with the church. The church is going to go whether we're ready or not. The church body is going to go to heaven whether we're ready or not, but it's up to our, our own uh, decisions if we're going to make it or not and get into uh, receive salvation and be ready to go to be a part of that wedding party, the bride of Christ. But as he was talking about it, the ark was predestined to float above the water. It was also predestined to save them. Uh, it was a matter of them making a decision to get in or not. But they were all given the opportunity so God didn't pick and choose, but he gave them the opportunity. And then, of course, as Brother Ayers said, that God shut the door. Uh, we don't know what time the door is going to be shut. The church's door is open. We don't know when it's going to be shut, but God's the one who's going to shut the door. It's just that we need to be ready, and we need to reach as many people as we can to be ready to meet the Lord. So we talked about that last week. Um, uh, today we're going to talk about the triumphant victory of the life and the spirit. Now a lot of this chapter is talking about the war between the flesh and between the spirit. It is important for us to not walk after the flesh, uh, but to walk after the spirit. And uh, uh, of course the teachings of the Bible and the teachings of, of course the church go along with the Bible. So the teaching of the word of God uh, if we follow those teachings, it will help us to control the flesh. 
it's not just teachings just to be throwing it out there. It's teachings with purpose. Teachings with purpose. It helps us to overcome the flesh so that we can walk in the spirit. And that's what the book of, Revel or book of Romans chapter 8 is talking about. Um, and, and, you know, some might say, well, I'm walking in the spirit. Uh, the question is, for us to really stop and think about it. Okay, we say we're walking in the Spirit. Are we really? Are we really walking in the Spirit, or are we deceiving ourselves? It's important for us to walk in the Spirit, for us to walk according to His Word, to live according to His Word, because when we walk in the Spirit, we're going to be sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord. And... Uh, I know a lot of times the flesh gets in the way, but we've got to give room for the Spirit to be able to lead us and guide us and direct us. So Romans 8.31, um, a very powerful verse here to, today that we need to read. Uh, it says in Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? So Paul begins his conclusion to this section. If God be for us, who can be against us? But first of all, he said, what then shall we say to these things? So when you look at this, we, um, we, we can conclude here that if all we had in the first portion of the book of Romans, not just chapter 8, but if in all the portions of the first few chapters of Romans, if, if that's all we had and you read that, you would, some might believe that God was against us. You might think that God was against us by reading the first part of Romans, but that's not the case. Paul is summing it up here to, today uh, by saying, if God is for us, who could be against us? Um, but Paul had shown the lengths that God went to save man from this point, thir verse 31, on to the latter verses of the book of Romans, chapter 8. Um, the length of what God would do to save us, the length of what God would do to love us, uh, from the wrath and also to equip us for victory over sin and death. So who can doubt that God is for us? Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is for us? Yes. He's not against us. He's for us. Now, I do know that there are some things we've got to look at, and I'm going to talk about it here in just a moment, and it's the word if. That is a two-letter word. But it's such a big word, even though it's so small. I-F means a lot. If. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Our weak hearts, a lot of times, if we're prone to, to legalism and disbelief, we could actually receive those words with great difficulty. That God is for us. God is for us. You see, God is for us. 
Some have failed him, but he is still for them. Even if we've failed, he's still for us. Uh, Some are ignorant of his word. I don't say that in a bad way, but ignorant being not sure and understanding of the word. And some are ignorant of his word, but he's still for them. Uh, Some, they have not yet brought forth much fruit in their life, but he's still for them. Some have failed and fall flat on their face, but he's still for them. He's still reaching for them. He's still for them. You see, there is also a thought here, too, about thinking that God is for us, and the word if comes into the being here, but, but there's a lot of people in our world, and you've heard it in the news also, uh, even terrorists that commit horrible crimes and death even think that God is for them. But that's where the word if comes into being. Now, he's for every soul to be saved, but he's not for us to destroy other people. He's not for us to uh, hurt people or to uh, drive them away from him. He wants us to be in him and us. In, uh, he wants him, his spirit to be in us. We in him and he in us. We want to be connected with the vine. But the spirit guards this statement of if God be for us, who can be against us? If. Um, he guards, the Spirit guards this statement through the word by the word if. So we may know that just because man thinks God is with him doesn't always make it so. He's for us as far as our soul is concerned for us to be saved. He's not for us destroying other people, hurting other people, leading people away from God. He's not for that. But you see, God is only for us if we are are, are, are in him and he in us. But if God be for us, think about it. Who, who can be against us? It really doesn't matter who's going to be against us when God is for us. Because when God's for us, we can do anything. All of the chatter, all of the words that people might say that they're against us in this world, does it really matter? If God is for them, what does it matter others are against them? If God is for us, what does it matter that others are against us? doesn't matter. One person plus God. One person, you, plus God is an unconquerable majority. You with God. Who can be against you? I mean, they could say they're against you, but what are they going to do? They can't destroy you. They can't overcome you. Satan can't overcome you. Satan can't destroy you. If God be for you. And he is for us. We're, we're, we're walking in the word. We're doing the best that we can. We're trying to grow in the Lord. We're trying to allow the word to absorb into our life. We're trying to walk a righteous life. Uh, you know, it's a constant learning process. But he's for us. You know, if we have been in the church maybe a year or two and we're trying to live for God, he is for us to grow. If we've been in the church for 50 years, 
He's still for us to continue to grow. It doesn't matter how long we live for God. We're still in need of growing. Can I hear an amen? We still need to grow. I've been in the church since 1977. I think that's, what, 40 years now? 40 years. Matter of fact, in February of 28th of 1977. I think it was February 28th. 1977 or 27th, uh, one of the two. I had a baptism certificate and it got destroyed in the basement with water. And I think it ended up getting thrown out. So it was either February 27th or February 28th. Uh, I could probably call my pastor. He probably has the dates written down. But it was 1977. So what is that, 40 years? I've been living for God and I'm still learning something new every day. There's a, a, there's a saying in, in, our, uh, in our trade, in the heating and air conditioning trade, HVAC trade, and I mentioned this a little bit before. <coughs> if you think you know everything, you're lying. Because you don't know everything. I mean, we tried to know everything. I set it as a goal in my life. Uh, I had a, a good buddy that worked with me for years, and Titus and Timothy know him. He, he even came to church with me several years ago, and uh, his name was Eddie Sims. He was, he, he was a powerful character. I'll put that in a way that if you knew him, then I, I got stories to tell you about him. He is a character beyond measure. Great guy, do anything for you. Uh, he stands about that tall, and uh, he's got that little man syndrome that he feels like he's got to conquer everything that comes up against him. But as he got older and got closer to retirement, uh, I, I watched him, you know, when we worked together so many years, you know, I, he was the type of guy that when he goes in on a job, he takes his tool pouch and throws all those tools on the floor and steps all over them, and he just digs in and just goes at it. And just get out of his way. You can even go sit down somewhere and just watch him work because he's just, Got elbows and arms going all over the place and doing all kinds of stuff. And uh, we finally work, figured out how to work together. Uh, you know, he, he, um, he was a great guy. But I noticed as he got closer to retirement, he got to the point where I, I put it this way. This is the way I explain it. You know, I've told him, I said, you know, it seems like, Ed, that you just don't want to tax your brain like you used to. You just don't want to have to figure things out like he, he even got to a point where um, if he didn't want to do it he would just say I don't know how to do that <laughs> he got to a point where he didn't want to work on walk-in coolers and freezers and we had worked on them for years he would just say I, I don't know how to do that kind of work and I would look at him like I know that's a lie you know how to do it probably better than any of us it's just because you don't want to do it. You just don't want to tax your brain. But as you get older, sometimes you get to that point. I'm learning now that I don't want to tax my brain. I'd rather tax my brain in the Word of God, but there's always something new you can learn. I, every day I go to work, I can learn something new. I, just, I get to the point where I just figure these things out. My dad kind of instilled that into me. But you never get to a point where you know it all. You just don't. Matter of fact, our trade is changing so fast. 
you got to constantly keep yourself updated on everything. I got some classes coming up in the 22nd, 23rd of March, and the boss called me the other day and said he needed me to go to those classes. We're trying to keep a certain status, but you got to keep this you got to keep this stuff fresh in your mind and these new things that are coming out. And I get to the point where I'm thinking, let me say it this way. I took a voluntary layoff for the last three weeks. I haven't got a paycheck yet for unemployment yet because I messed it up. But I, I really enjoy this not taxing my brain. I enjoy this. Is that right, Brother Ron? There you go. He's retired. I'm just trying to follow in his footsteps. But, but you just don't ever get to the point where you stop learning. Don't ever think you know everything about God because you don't. I've been in this 40 years. I continue to learn something new. Um, it, it, it's constant. You, you just, every time I pick up the word of God, I just, I just am amazed it's something that just pops out at me, and I'm thinking, I've read that so many times, but I didn't see it that way. And it's just amazing. You never stop learning. Keep digging. Keep digging in the Word of God, because there's something fresh, something new you're going to learn. It's, it's amazing. And, and in the spirit realm, there's... You know, I've seen a lot of things in my life. I've seen miracles. I've seen supernatural things happen. I've heard testimonies that are totally amazing through the years. I've got testimonies that are amazing. But I haven't seen it all. There's so much more for us to see. But one person plus God makes an unconquerable majority. Nothing can destroy you other than you allowing it to destroy you. You walk away from God. If God be for you, who can be against you? If is a big word, but he is always for us to come closer to him, closer to him. God is drawing us. Um, it cannot be denied that for those who are in Christ, that he is in them. So that scripture here, you know, we think about all of the attacks against your life. They're going to be there but when you got God on your side, he's asking, who can be against us? Uh, the scripture my wife read Sunday, and I, I, I have always been amazed at this scripture, and I've preached on it and taught on it before. And it's scripture, I wish I could, had the exact quote of it, and you can probably remember the scripture text that she read, but there's a point, and I think it was in Isaiah, that... They're going to say, is that the one that disrupted this whole world? Talking about Satan. Is that the one? We thought he was so big and bad. And he, he was so ruthless and so evil. And yeah, he's evil. There's no doubt. But is that the one that disrupted this whole world and led people astray and scared people to death? 
Think about that scripture when you, if God be for you, who can be against you? Satan is the who. He is the who. Who can be against you? Nobody worth mentioning because he's the devil. Maybe he's the Grinch in Whoville. I don't know. Who can be against you? I don't know. My mind thinks strange at times, but I just had to throw that out there. But Romans 8 and 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Considering if God is for us, you know, when it talks about he, he offered up, he spared his own son or offered up his own son, delivered him up for us as a sacrifice upon the cross, that son is that begotten of the Father, which actually is God in flesh. It, it, he's God in flesh, knowing that truth. But if you wonder if God is for us, he gave it all. He gave it all for us on the cross. He did not have to. But because of love, he did. Some say he could have called for 10,000 angels to come down from heaven and take him off the cross. Yeah, he could have. But yet I think about that and I say, no, he couldn't. Because love held him to that cross. Love for you and me held him to that cross. <coughs> so, yeah, he has the ability to do that, but he couldn't because it would have messed up his plan for his love for us. Sacrifice. He knew it was about us. And then we go on and talk about, so that kind of shows a little bit about if he's for us or not. Romans 8, 33 through 39, talking about the security of the believer in, in God's love. <clears throat> Think about this as Paul closes out this chapter here. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are Killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So who shall bring a charge against God's elect. You see, if, if we are declared not guilty by the highest judge, which is the Lord, 
Who could bring an additional charge against us? Nobody. If the God, the judge of all creation, could say to us when we repent of our sins and are baptized in the name of Jesus and wash our sins away and are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and the evidence of speaking in tongues, and the judge says, you're not guilty. I took the guilt on me. Yes, we deserve that, to die on the cross ourselves for our own sins. But he took up that, that uh, sacrifice and that offering of himself hanging on the cross, gave his life for us, shed his blood for us, because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So if he says that we're not guilty because of his sacrifice and us repenting and giving our life to him, the highest judge of all creation, who can bring an additional charge against us? Nobody has a right to. Satan himself can make accusations, but the Bible says, therefore there is now no more condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So that scripture is the very first verse of the book of Romans, chapter 8. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There's no more condemnation. That is the biggest tool of the devil to try to disrupt us as a church body by condemning us. It's your fault. You're the reason. No, the church is not at fault. It's not the church's fault. We, we, uh, we're striving to live for God. We're striving to walk with God. And a lot of times the devil's saying to us, you remember that sin way back years ago? And he begins to bring that up, stir it up, and make you feel guilty and make you feel bad about yourself and this and that. And he condemns us. He throws condemnation upon us and weights us down with condemnation to the point where we don't even feel like we can raise our hands. That's such a tactic of the devil we got to learn to overcome that condemnation because the Bible says, therefore there is now no more condemnation to those that uh, walk not after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. We can go back to that scripture again and look at it in Romans. There, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. If you don't want condemnation in your life, don't walk after the flesh. Walk after the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God lead you, guide you. And all that condemnation will be thrown away. And if you have condemnation, if there's something that actually the devil accuses you of and you know you're guilty and you haven't repented, just simply repent of it. Take it to God. Ask Him to forgive you of that sin. Lay it at an altar. Put it under the blood. Let God forgive you of it. And walk away from it. Don't live in that condemnation. We read it again. There is therefore now, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So who could bring an additional charge upon us if the Lord has proclaimed us not guilty? The guilt was upon him. The sin, the, he, he took on the all of the sins of the world. A man named Beecher, Henry Beecher once said, the elect are whosoever will, the non-elect are whosoever won't. 
makes sense. The elect that he's talking about. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? The elector, whosoever will, and that's open to everybody. But the non-elect are whosoever won't. Won't. I don't have to be the elect. I don't have to be a part of the church. I don't have to be uh, on my way to heaven. I don't have to be. It's my choice. It's your choice. But here's the thing. I choose. All of the persecution and all of the struggle and all the things that we face in this world, yeah, a lot of people look at Pentecost, apostolic Pentecostals, they're mighty crazy people. They, they talk about the holy rolling, you know. I haven't seen holy rolling in a long time. We need to see that again. Maybe someone needs to start that. Maybe pastor needs to start that. Janae needs to start that. Yeah. Janae can start that. What's that? <laughs> she could start that, and if she starts that, we will join her, trust me. Lead the way, Sister Janae. It might be a roll, bump, roll, bump. I'm just kidding. No, actually, I'm not. <laughs> But, hey, you know, they, they talk about the holy rollers. They talk about running the aisles. They talk about speaking in tongues. They think, sometimes they think we're crazy. You know what? I just think they're crazy too. Until I got touched by it. Everything changed then. I choose to be a part of the elect. I'm excited about being a part of the elect. Some people, you know, some people, uh, you know, kind of make fun of, of those uh, Christian people that go to church every time the doors are open and, and uh, try to walk in a godly way and this and that. Don't go out and drink at the bars and don't do drugs and, and, and don't go out carousing around town and, and sinning and all this junk that the world's doing right now and thinks it's so great. Guess what? I can go home and I can go to sleep at night and rest like a baby, unless I ate pizza the night before. That's a different story. But I can go home and I can rest and get up the next morning refreshed. And I don't have the hangover. I don't have the hangover. You know, there's a lot of benefits of being a part of the elect. I choose to be a part of the elect. I thank God for the church. I thank God for the kingdom of the Lord. Revelation 22 and 17 Revelation 22 and 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. I think everybody's got ears. That includes everybody. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will, whoever chooses to do that. The book of Romans 8, 1 through 9, let me go back and read that again. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I'm going to read down to verse 9. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak 
through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. That's what they think about. That's what they live for. They begin to appease the desires of the flesh. That's the reason why it's important for us to live by the the teachings of the word of God, what the church stands upon, so that we can over we can get this flesh under control. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit, they, they mind the things of the spirit. That's what they think about. Not thinking about the flesh, pleasing the flesh. They're thinking about what can we do to please the spirit of the Lord because they're walking in the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. You see, this flesh living and this carnal thinking is enmity against God. That's the reason why we've got to get the flesh under subjection. Not just for us, but for our family and for our children and for our friends around us and the people in our lives. We've got to get this flesh under subjection so we can walk in the Spirit. Because to be carnal-minded is death, but to be spiritual-minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. How much you try, it can't be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost dwelling in us, the power of the Holy Ghost. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's a pretty powerful scripture there. I want to be a part of his bride. I want to be a part of his kingdom. I want to be a part of him. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Why? Because you're going to walk after the flesh, and the flesh is going to be enmity against God. So if we wonder if God's for us, yes, he's for us. He's for us to overcome this flesh and for us to walk in the Spirit. And then the Bible goes on and says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No matter what the circumstances, you know, God has given us the ability to be not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror, to conquer the flesh, conquer sin, conquer the, the things that are trying to get us to not walk in the Spirit we are conquerors over that through him, not on our own, but through him. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he goes on and talks about some various things that we might think 
will keep us from being a conqueror. Who shall bring a charge against us? The elect. It is God who justifies. Who, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who all, also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation separate us? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. The world writes us off as some fringe group that has no clue. Oh, we got a clue, all right, because we have a God that created everything. And he's got a word, the Bible, that has every answer to every problem in this world. But are these things going to separate us from the love of God? I always use this example that there are times that, uh, and I, I'm not trying to embarrass my sons, but Timothy and Titus and Micah, if he was in here. Of course, Micah, he, he's not in this category because he never got spankings <laughs> that I know of. Timothy and Titus got a few spankings. Timothy and Titus were setting world records of getting speeding tickets, too. I don't mean to embarrass them or anything. But we had a lot of fun growing up, because I was growing up with them. But even when they did something that was wrong, that they deserved a spanking, a beating, no, a spanking, that did not change my love for them. It really didn't change my love for them. My love was always the same. Their mom's love was always the same. And I use that analogy because it's the same thing with God. You see, God, when we fail, we fall flat on our face and mess up royally. That does not change the love of God for us. It does not change the love of God. He still loves us. So, as the church... We will go through these things in this present world. Does tribulation separate us from the love of God? What do we mean by tribulation? I looked up all the definitions of these words. Tribulation means pressure. Tribulation means oppression. It means affliction. It means distress. It means anguish. It means persecution. Is that going to separate us from the love of God when we go through these things? Absolutely not. Does distress do it? No. Distress is narrowness of place. Extreme affliction. How many are, um, uh, are paranoid when you get in tight spaces? Raise your hand. Tight spaces. We, we have this thing in the, in the sheet metal union which is called uh, training in confined spaces. When I have to crawl into a, a, a confined space, a tight space, a, a place that 
you know, I, I, I actually, by the rules of the sheet metal union, I have to have another worker with me watching me as I crawl, or they have to have another technician with them when we crawl in a confined space because if something happens, they got to pull us out. And it's just for protection. Um, there's been some places I've been into uh, here not too long ago. I had to crawl in a unit that was probably about as, not completely as high as this ceiling, but almost. I had to go up on a lift and, and I had to crawl in the unit to fix it. And uh, it was quite a chore. So the next day, uh, I called in our apprentice and I said, you're going to crawl in that unit. This time because there is a burner pipe in there that's got a hundred little bitty holes in it all the way down. And you're going to take a little bitty steel wire and you're going to stick it in every hole and clean those out. And if you get in trouble, I'll grab a hold of your legs and I'll pull you out of there. And I had to stand there with him. But he's an apprentice. He's supposed to do those. I've already been, I already did my time. So in distress, yeah, narrowness of place, extreme affliction. <laughs> narrowness of place it just reminds me of Ed again. Ed told me about a story when he was down in Florida working, and they had a nursing home that uh, there was a break in a water pipe in the concrete under, right by the nurse's station in a nursing home. And they had to jackhammer a hole in there, to, and they had to dig out the dirt underneath the concrete, and they had little bitty Ed crawl in there, but they had to dig it out, and they were trying to figure out how they could do it. If it caved in, what were they going to do? That was a confined space. So he told them, go get a garden hose, cut the end off of it, and he said, uh, let me take that with me back underneath there. And as I crawl in there and I'm digging that dirt out and they're taking it out, I'll have that, th if it caves in, I'll have that hose I can breathe through. <laughs> I'm thinking, you're nuts. I wouldn't do that. But he did, and he fixed the pipe and welded it back together and got it going again. That's who he was. I would be in distress, narrowness of place, extreme affliction. Does that separate us from the love of God? I'm talking about the distresses of this world. We're in it doesn't take us away from the love of God. He's still for us. What about persecution? It's same as the word. We know what persecution means when we're persecuted for the, for the sake of Christ. What about famine or hunger or scarcity of harvest? doesn't change our, the love of God for us. What about nakedness? A, a want of clothing or not able to buy clothing, but yet that doesn't change the love of God for us. What about peril, which means danger? What about the sword, which, which means war or weapons used against us? There's a lot of weapons used against us in this world to try to defeat what we stand for, what we believe in. Does that change the love of God? No, he still loves us. He still cares for us and he's still for us. And who can be against us? It doesn't change the love of God. Excuse me. It doesn't change the love of God. Paul was talking about, even when he talked about the sword, the weapons that people use against us, living for God, trying to get us. You know, let me put it this way. There's a lot of times people want you to, you know, they see you at that place of peace and joy in the Lord, and, and, and they look at that, and I really believe, because I say this because this is the way I believed it, 
when I was not living for God, I, I looked at those folks and I thought, I do respect them, but I was trying to get them to come down to my level so it would make me feel better in my sin. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes people use weapons against us to try to not rise up to the upper level, but to bring us down to where they're at. Let me tell you something. Don't let the world influence you. You influence the world. Because the world needs the peace that you got. They need the Holy Ghost that you got. They need salvation that you got. They need that victory that you got. You're more than a conqueror. They need that. Don't let the world influence you. You influence the world. 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 14. For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, yes. I'm one of them. You're one of them. We're a fool for Christ. Thank God. I'm proud of it. I'm proud to be apostolic. I'm proud to live for God. I am proud. If the world only knew what I experience when I pray, when I worship, when I come into the house of God and feel the glory of God and that peace of God and that strength that gives me strength to move on, the only way they're going to understand is if I tell them and I show them by experience. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor working with our hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. And verse 14 says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be things that are going to come upon our lives for being a fool for Christ. But trust me, when you stand before God and it's all the world is all said and done, and it's all finished, and you stand before God, it is worth it all. To be a fool for Christ. He, this, this was uh, Paul speaking to 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthian church. You're going to be attacked, but how you respond to it is going to show to the world that we've got God in us. Doesn't make us better than anybody else. God loves us all the same, even the sinner that's sitting on the street somewhere that's attacking the people of God. He still loves them. He's reaching for them. But it's going to be worth it all, making a decision to walk with God. And whatever I have to sacrifice for the Lord, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because that's where our relationship with God needs to get. It needs to get to where it's a love relationship with the Lord. doesn't mean we're perfect. We fail at times, but we get up and we keep going. God can forgive us. It's the reason he went to the cross, shed his blood. He can forgive us. It's not that we intentionally 
sin because we know he's going to forgive us. I'm not saying that. But we do know that if we are striving to do right and living for God, and we just trip and fall. How many have ever um, tripped and fell and you were just expecting it to happen? Anybody? No, the times that I've had accidents, it, it came on me real fast and I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting it. And sometimes it can happen so fast. You think you're so sure in everything you're doing and then all of a sudden something gets in the way and you trip and fall and you hurt yourself and you're thinking, how did that happen? It just came on me all at once. You don't go around. If you knew that that was going to happen, you'd probably bypass or go a different direction. You wouldn't fall. But if there is a failure and you fall flat on your face... It's a matter of you going to an altar and asking God to forgive you again. Because he will. But you don't live your life just saying, I'm going to sin and do whatever I want to just because I know God's going to forgive me. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. I'm going to bring this to a close. For your sake we are killed all day day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter yet in all things these we are more than conquerors through him even though we're killed all day long and we're counted as sheep for the slaughter what did the Lord do when he was considered the sheep for the slaughter yet opened he not his mouth he still treated everybody with a love and did not attack them because he had a purpose and we have a purpose and in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he finishes that chapter off, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through all of these things that we come up against as a child of God, as a fool for Christ, nothing, none of this can separate us from the love of God. And I'll tell you what we, as being more than conquerors, what we come to a point of being conquer over is we are able to conquer in faith. As we walk with God, the longer you walk with God, the more faith you're going to have. Every testimony builds on the next testimony. Every prayer answered builds on the next prayer answered. Every victory builds on that. You're building a building of faith and that faith, as you walk with the Lord, you're more than conquerors. As you build in your faith, you become stronger and even more than a conqueror. Your faith, you begin to, to eye the prize that is ahead of us, the promises of the Lord that he's got set up for us in the future. You also conquer in patience. The longer you live for God, the more patient you're going to be because you trust God. 
And you'll say at that point, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And you also conquer in joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We gain power in walking with God. We gain power. We grow in power and become more than a conqueror. And when you trust God, with him on your side, with him for you, there's nobody that can come up against you, that can defeat you. Uh, there is a tribe, and I'm going to close on this, there's a tribe of savages whose warriors, they have this idea that, that uh, the strength of the men that they have killed flows into them by that fatal stroke of death that they might give their enemy. That's what they feel. They feel like that everybody that is an enemy of theirs and they kill them, that that strength of that enemy goes into them and makes them stronger and they gain in power. This is a reality in the moral conflict. Every moral enemy slain gives the slayer strength. What I mean by that, now I don't, I know that's just a, 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 of a tribe of savages and warriors that had that thought. But when you take it into the spiritual realm and living for God, every victory you gain, every enemy you overcome gives you more power and more strength. That's the reason why the Bible says through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, we are made overcomers. Because there's times, you know, I need the blood of Jesus Christ upon my life. There's power in that to continue to flow over my life. But yet those testimonies that I have in my life and that you have in your life, you can, you're building on that faith and you gain power for every enemy you destroy, you come up against, you destroy in your life, you gain more strength. You gain more power in God is what I'm saying. You gain more power. So the power of God grows within us. Amen. And I bring this chapter to a close, chapter 8 of the book of Romans. I do want to say this, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, which means nothing which appears to be good or nothing which appears to be evil can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. He's still going to love us. He's still going to be there with us. If we're walking with him, trying to do the best we can, of course, he is for us. He's on our side. He's fighting the battles for us. And he makes us not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. So when you walk out of this building tonight, I want you to lift your head up high and realize God is for me. Who can be against me? Who could be against me? And when you get out on the job or, or tomorrow or tonight or next week or whatever, and when you get out there and you realize there's attacks against your life and maybe even Satan's coming up against you with some kind of crazy thing, I want you to just say to him, God's for me. Who is against me? Satan, you're a who. You mean nothing. Because God is for me. Amen. I'd like for us to stand tonight.
And let's lift our hands to the Lord and give him thanks that he loves us and we're not separated from his love. We are in God and he is in us. Amen. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for being on our side. With me and you, God, there is, there is no devil in hell that can stop us.